you know. When you start getting old, you think about the hereafter, don't you? You go to the refrigerator and say, what am I hereafter? <laughs> you go to the garage and say, what am I hereafter? Heard about this man that was uh, in his easy chair in the front room, and he thought about something out in the garage. And so he went out there to get it, and when he got out there, he'd forgotten it. So he just went back and sat down in the easy chair. As soon as he got sat down, he thought of it again. Went back to the garage, forgot it. Came back. The next time he came back, he just picked up his easy chair and took it out in the garage. <laughs> Amen. So uh, we call it absent-mindedness. Some people call it dementia and all kind of other names. But just forgetfulness, you know. What happens is by the time you get my age, the hard drive is overloaded. And uh, the memory doesn't work as fast as it used to, you know. You need a rejuvenation. The Lord's going to do that for me one of these days when he comes, amen. We're going to have the mind of Christ. Can you imagine that? We're going to know as we're known. The way Christ knows us, we're going to know. Think of that. And uh, it's way beyond our... They say that if we could use our brain as it should be, we would have, uh, we'd be so many more, we'd be so much more intelligent. But uh, the Lord's going to give us a brand new mind and a brand new body. I'm going to want, take one that don't get so tired, I'll tell you that for sure. And uh, God's going to give us that. We are looking forward to that great day when the Lord takes us up. We're going to rise up to meet him in the air. Well, I would like for you to turn your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. My first sermon was in Matthew chapter 6, uh, 58 years ago this month. I preached my first sermon. What they did, they, were, they taught us how to develop a 30-minute sermon. And it was practice preaching, and I developed three 30-minute sermons and preached all three of them in five minutes. <laughs> and uh, I had 10 minutes, and so I just had to go over and preach them again for another five minutes. Well, you can imagine what, uh, how they critiqued my sermon and uh, the laughter that was there, you know. I, when my first time I led the music... You know, you're supposed to get your hand up there. You know, they showed us how to start, you know. And I was so scared. I mean, my knees were actually knocking together. And I got up there and I got my hand up like I couldn't move it. So I just led the singing like this. <laughs> oh, well. I thank the Lord for all of His benefits and blessings since that time. Uh, verses 20 and 21. By the way, while you're turning there, I would like to say we hope that you'll remember us in your prayers. Put us on your prayer list. Pray for us. Lois and I are not getting any younger and uh, it's not getting any easier to travel. And uh, I'm not as good a driver as I used to be. You have to admit things like that. You know what I mean? There's some people who won't admit it. But I have to admit that I'm not as good a driver. So it takes Lois and I both to drive. 
man said, you know, I went the whole way to Florida the other day, and my, dro- wa- my wife drove the whole way down there and back. He said, she did. said, yes. said, of course, my hand was on the wheel, but she did all the driving, right? <laughs> but it takes both of us to drive, and, and sometimes that gets perplexing to me, and it's harder for Lois to sit there and help me, it is for me to drive. And I appreciate her helping me. I'm sure that a lot of times we'd been an awful wreck if she hadn't been there. Gary Lucas and I almost died out here on the on the uh, LIE one time years ago. I never will forget it. I pulled up there and, it, and the car coming was completely blocked from my view. And uh, I started to pull out and, let, and, and Gary screamed. And I stopped real quick, and the car went by real just that quick. But we'd have been broadsided if I'd have pulled out there. You know, it's tough out there, so I hope that you'll pray for us, that God will give us safety on the road. I often say, when you pray for us, don't just pray, dear God, bless the Claytons. Because there are some Claytons that ought not be blessed. I've got some relatives (laughs) And uh, so don't pray, pray in particular for us, if you would, please, that God would bless us. We leave here, and Wednesday night I'm supposed to be preaching on the island, out on the island, and then uh, then Thursday we fly back to Ohio, and we just get in long enough to change suitcases, and then we go down to Columbus, Ohio, we'll be down to Columbus for a meeting, uh, Sunday through Thursday. And then Friday we fly out to Spokane, Washington, and I'm preaching in Idaho. We'll go over in Montana and Idaho, and then I'm over in Washington, in Seattle, Washington. Auburn, actually, is the name of the suburb of Seattle. And then we, we fly back here, and I've got a bunch of meetings then. That's the end of October. In November, I'm preaching kind of all over the place. And then uh, in December, Lois and I are going to go down to Florida. And I've got a bunch of meetings in Florida where I'll be preaching. There's a family down there that have a great, big, beautiful condominium. And it's, uh, it's just a really a wonderful, quiet place. And they let us use it for a couple weeks every year. And so we'll be down there preaching and staying in that nice condominium. And then after that, we come back. To Ohio, I'm preaching in Georgia and Florida, and then back to Ohio. And then I go to California, and from California to the Philippines, at Taiwan and the Philippines. And so I hope that you'll pray for us. And then I, I don't get back to our house till I think it's June, is before I get back to the house. We just spend one night there, and then we'll be gone till June. So. Pray for us that God will bless us and use us in a great way. I believe in your prayers, and we really need your prayers. And uh, we thank you so very much for all that you've done for us. And, and we thank God for this church and for what you're maintaining here for God and what you're launching out to do. And I know that God is blessing you, and I know that God is going to continue to bless you. All right, tonight... Just two verses to start with. But lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. For neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. 
And where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'd like to talk to you tonight about treasure. I don't know about you, but I've always been a treasure hunter. I like to think about treasure. Started out with me when I was a little boy, <laughs> having read Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. Maybe some of you read that. And it was quite a story. And uh, The Good Earth by, by uh, uh, Pearl S. Buck. That was another one I wrote. People don't read the classics anymore, but they used to be something that people would read. The Count of Monte Cristo. About people who found treasures. And what that treasure did to them and what they used the treasure for, you know. I've always loved the idea of hunting treasure. In the Philippines, they have a group of people that sell the treasure map. You can buy one for about, well, they want 50 pesos. But you can get one for about 5 pesos if you keep on arguing with them. It's supposed to be the treasure map to the Japanese treasure. Japanese stole all the Filipinos' wealth and hid it. And this treasure map is supposed to be for the Japanese treasure. Now you stop and think about that. If you had a map to the treasure, you wouldn't sell it, right? You'd be out there digging for it, right? So it's just a bogus thing. It's not true at all. But they do sell them because people are treasure hunters. And they like to hunt treasure. Now there's some people that find treasure. Uh, Mel uh, Fisher, that uh, treasure hunter, out amazingly in the Caribbean, has a whole team of uh, people on boats that go out and hunt treasure. And uh, sometimes they find them. They've got maps of where the Spanish uh, uh, galleons went down and they go out and dig around in that dirt in the bottom of the ocean to finally try to find one. We remember him and his boat because where we lived in the Florida Keys uh, every year for a few weeks, uh, we would get on a big boat and we'd go out this channel out into the ocean to fish and we'd go right by Mel Fisher's big boat that he used. It wasn't a very pretty one, but it was rigged up with everything. I mean, the millions of dollars in that boat to help him find these treasures. And he did find one. It's called the Attica, a Spanish galleon. And uh, he found $450 million worth of gold when he found that boat. It was strung out all over the ocean floor. They went down and gathered it up. In uh, July the 20th, 1985, he found that treasure. You can go down there now and go to his museum and see pieces of that treasure and pieces of that gold. You know, when they found it and brought it up, it looked just like the day that it sunk. And that's something gold is able to resist that salt water all those many, many years. It's something else. A treasure. Lois and I knew an old treasure hunter. He was a dowser. You know what a dowser is? How many of you know what a dowser is? Anybody? Just me and my wife? Pete, you know what a dowser is? Yeah, well... Uh, we did some dowsing down here in the basement. You remember that? 
Yeah, <laughs> we were trying to find a pipe. I don't know if this is supposed to be public or not. Maybe you'll get upset with it. But uh, he said, I need to find a pipe down here in the basement. I said, well, let's douse for it. And he said, really? I said, yeah, let's douse for it. What you do is you get two bent pieces of pipe in an L shape, just like this, you know. Heavy, not pipe, wire. Heavy wire, uh, heavier than a, than a, than a uh, clothes hanger. And you hold it in your hands with the tips down like that, real loosely. And you walk around and when you come to water or to a pipe, they'll cross. And uh, it'll, it works. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Somebody, how many of you know what I'm talking about here? Well, a lot more than I thought. And uh, so we went down there, and it didn't work for me. Sometimes it'll work for me, sometimes it won't. And it didn't work for Pastor. But little Pete did it, didn't he? Wasn't it little Pete? Yeah, little Pete got it, and he found the pipe. If I remember the story right. Because when he came to that pipe under the, under the floor, those things crossed. Then when he went on it, it came back again. It'll do it. It's not hocus pocus. And it's not, it's not uh, magic. Nor is it uh, demonic. It's just a thing that happens. A lot of things like that. It's just some kind of a, maybe it's a uh, electri- electronic magnet or something in your body that I, don't, I can't explain it. And I don't think anybody else can. But it will work. Lois and I knew an old dowser out in Kansas that doused for oil. And he'd go out across the field and he'd walk and find oil that way. I, I don't know if he used the, the, the uh, uh, metal rods or if he used, some of them use a willow stick. And that willow stick will just point right down. And it, it really works. And, and as again I say, it's not a magic thing. It's just something that happens. This old man out in Kansas was able to find oil that way. And he would go and buy the land where he'd find oil. He'd drill for the oil and take the oil out and then sell the land. He became a multi-millionaire doing that. And uh, it's just something that happens. A treasure. Uh, I like to think about finding a treasure. It'd be fun, wouldn't it, to find a treasure? Some. How would you like to buy a house and there'd be treasures there? My sister bought a house one time and she found it was three old ladies that run a bakery and she found all kinds of rings and everything on watches all over that house that they just left there. They didn't want them so they just left them there. How would you like to be a treasure hunter? The Bible says, but lay up for yourselves treasures. Treasures. You know, you'd be surprised what some people consider a treasure. You know, there are some people that have things that are of no value whatsoever, but to them, it's something more than money could buy. There are some people that have a dog, and they think more of that dog than they do of anything on earth. Probably the dog wouldn't be worth very much if he was sold, but to, but to that person that loves that dog, that dog is, or a cat. And now some people, uh, 
Young people like rats and snakes and spiders and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, if somebody, I mean, if they really like something and they really treasure it, it's important to them. Uh, I've seen people who have had things that they just couldn't depart with. And then there are others that have things that they don't care a thing about that the world would place a high value on. My cousin invested $20 million in Enron. $20 million. Well, he lost his $20 million and he lost his factory, lost everything else he had, you know. But just think about, I mean, investing, wouldn't you consider $20 million a treasure? And he lost it overnight whenever they found out that Enron was just a big hoax and a, and a fake. His, uh, his uh, stock in that, the $20 million worth of stock in Enron was worthless. And uh, he came to me and told me, he said, Brother Clayton, I, I wish you'd talk to my kids. Because we've lost that money and it really has shocked them. Uh, you know, talk to them and help encourage them or something. So I went out, we went out to eat with them at Perkins Restaurant. And I told the young people, I said, that a boy and a girl, uh, both of them were uh, probably over 21. And I said, you know, the best thing that ever happened to you was to lose that money. Boy, they looked at me. $20 million is a lot of money. I said, because now you're going to go to work. Otherwise, you would have been a lazy loafer all the rest of your life. Now you're going to have to work to, to earn enough to take care of yourself. And I said, everybody ought to have to work. And it's, it's good for people. You, you take a bunch of people that just lay around and do nothing, they, they usually end up a total failure. In life, how many rich people have had kids that didn't amount to anything because that money was a curse to them? And it can be a curse. But I would consider $20 million a treasure, wouldn't you? Well, if I had $20 million, I know there'd be a bunch of churches get built across the country because that's what I'd use it for. And I think it would be a great investment to use that for the Lord. Now, the Bible says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, if you've got a little bit of a bank account, a savings account, you, you treasure that. I mean, you've got that little bit of money, it's there for a rainy day, or it's something there, maybe your retirement, or something you've got, a little bit of money, some put off, put away somewhere, and it's important to you. By the way, the money that you've got in the bank are losing more value every day than probably you're winning by keeping it there. But, but uh, people have things they consider a treasure. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible says for us to lay up treasures in heaven, in the banks of heaven, where nothing will ever corrupt or thieves can break through and steal. You could lose all of your money in the bank by a bank break or a bank go broke or government go broke. And the government is broke, so 
And we all may lose all the money we've got, a little bit we've got saved because it may not be worth anything. But if you lay up treasures in heaven, no bank robber is going to steal it. I heard about this guy that walked into the bank with a, with a pad and a paper, and he wrote on the piece of paper, Give me all the money in your drawer. I've got a gun in my pocket, and I might shoot you. Well, to disguise himself, he pulled down a, a, a woman's silk stocking over his head. And he walked into the bank. He forgot to shave his mustache. And he walked into the bank, and he was looking around, you know, <laughs> making sure everything was safe, and he gave the girl the note, and she looked at him, and she said, George, you look ridiculous. Said, you're not going to shoot me. I'm your cousin. He didn't even look at the girl, who, who she was. She said, I can tell who you are because that great big old mustache, that red mustache of yours, sticking out of that stocking. She said, for goodness sakes, get out of here before you go to jail. And he ran out the door. <laughs> Paul Harvey told about a guy who was going to rob a bank. And he went in disguised. And he had him a gun. And he walked up to the counter and told the girl, here's a sack, fill it full of money or I'll shoot you. And she filled it full of money. And a grocery bag. You remember the old grocery bags we used to have had handles on them? And he got that and started out the door. And he left his car running outside for a getaway. And he got out there and realized he had locked the keys in his car. <laughs> so he took his gun and he knocked the window out. And he started putting the bag of money in there before he crawled in and caught it on the jagged edge of the, uh, of the window and tore it and all the money fell on the ground. So he jumped in the car and took off. You know how Paul Harvey used to say it. And uh, at the end of the day, they found him in the hospital because he had shot a hole through his foot. Well, that, wasn't, that wasn't any luck in that guy that day, was there? I mean, he's in trouble. But the Bible says if we have to lay up treasures in heaven, nothing will ever steal it away. It won't corrupt. It won't, uh, it won't be stolen. It'll be yours for eternity. Now, I could preach a long time on all of this, but just think what a treasure in heaven would be. I mean, if you have rewards up in heaven, think what it's going to be. One thing is you'll never lose them. They'll be yours forever. Wouldn't it be something if you had an eternal $100 bill? $100 bill and you'd go to the store and buy something with it. And then you'd get out and you'd feel a little movement in your billfold or your purse. And look, back, look in there and there was that $100 bill back. Wouldn't that be nice? An eternal $100 bill. Boy, you ladies would really go shopping, wouldn't you, huh? And uh, probably go to Walmart. Do you have Walmart around here anywhere? No Walmart at all? How can you exist without Walmart? I mean, that's the ladies' paradise, Walmart is. And uh, there's some out on the island, isn't there? I'm going further out on the island, there's some Walmarts. Have you, how many of you have been to Walmart somewhere? Everybody has been to Walmart. Yeah. 
One old boy, I guess you heard one old boy said, when I die, I want him to bury me in the parking lot of Walmart. They said, do you really? He said, yeah, bury me in the parking lot of Walmart because I know my wife will visit my grave every day. <laughs> but you know, if you had something, a reward eternal, it would be better to have an eternal reward that's small than it would be have a big one that's temporary. We work in this life, we struggle in this life, trying to get this and get that, and everything that we get and everything we've got or everything we do is temporary except what we do for the Lord. And that's permanent. You know, if I could get Christians across this country to see that, I would enlist a lot of people in God's service. In fact, the matter is, if people really knew what they, what they could really get out of serving God in this church, we'd have to have a cop out there with a gun to keep them out of here. They'd be lined up from here way down the street trying to get in here to do something. You know, <laughs> there was a man by the name of Hudson that owned the Hudson gasoline stations. They were on Route 40. Used to be Route 40. It's Route 70 now. And they were... They were, he built them just a tank of gas from one another. So you'd buy the gas from Hudson, you'd drive until the tank was empty and there'd be another Hudson gas station there. He had that figured, you know, on Route 40. And when the old man died, he gave, he gave the Kansas City Baptist Temple a million dollars and they built an old folks home with it. He gave a lot of money away and he gave his kids certain things and he gave all those gasoline stations to his oldest daughter. And she got all the managers of all those stations together and she told them, what I want you to do is I want you to cheat just a little bit, just a fraction of a cent. Turn the pumps just a fraction of the cent uh, to, to our good. So when you put a, a gallon of gas in the car, it really isn't a gallon, but it registers a gallon. And the government found out that she did that and made her give away free gasoline for a whole week. So there was cars lined up at every Hudson gasoline station for at least a mile waiting to get in there to get a whole tank full of free gasoline. Now, if people really knew what it was that God is going to reward us with in eternity for what we do for Him here, <laughs> there wouldn't be any problem about volunteers for Jesus. But people just don't know. So Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and, nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The thing that you really like and treasure the most is the thing that you really love more than anything else. Now, uh, some people treasure their children, and they should. Some people uh, treasure various things, and it's okay. There, there are some people that uh, 
They, 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 they treasure their entertainment. They, they spend all their money on tickets to ball games and to various things. And the, that's where their treasure is. That's where their heart is. All right, now with that in mind, look at Matthew 13, 44. Look what it says here. Matthew 13, 44. I'll wait till you find it. Not very far away, you know. You can turn there easily. Matthew 13, 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, hid in a field, the which a man hath found, he hideth, and for the joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. Now here's a story about a man in a field. I don't know if he had any right to be there or not. He may have been trespassing. He may have been working for the man that owned it. You can kind of speculate all you want to on that. The Bible doesn't say why he was there, but he was there. And while he was out in that field, he found a treasure. Wow. Uh, something like uh, Mel Fisher found. He found a treasure. Or like the Count of Monte Cristo was given by his old uh, jailmate in that prison where he was. If, if you read that story, it's quite an interesting story. They made movies about it, but it's nothing as good as the book. And uh, this man out in that field, roaming around, didn't own the field. It was belonged to somebody else. And he found a treasure. It doesn't say what the treasure is. It could have been a cache of gold somewhere that somebody buried. A lot of people bury things, you know, to keep them, hide them away. But an old man in Cleveland, Ohio, years ago that he was from overseas and he didn't trust the banks. He worked night, a hardworking man and all the money he made I mean, he made the family even do without certain things for him to save that money. And the way he saved it, and nobody knew this, but he'd knock a little hole, he'd peel the wallpaper up, knock a little hole, and he'd stick it in money in there. It was falling down between the plaster and the outside ward. And uh, he was sticking it in there, sticking it, and he would put it in there until the money got up to the hole, and then he'd seal the hole, plaster the wallpaper back, and go make him another hole. Well, nobody knew he had that. Kids didn't know he had it. Nobody knew he had it. It was a secret. He was hiding his treasure. Well, he up and died without telling anybody. And the family owned the house, but the city of Cleveland was putting a road through there, so they got this big house demolisher, a great big ball, great big giant ball on the end of a, uh, of a what do they call them, high lift things anyhow. Uh, uh, and he brought it up there and he was swinging that ball and hitting the houses and knocking them down so they could haul them off. And he hit this house full of money and the money flew everywhere. They said that money was floating out along the street and everybody was up there gathering it up. And... Uh, the house wrecker saw that the house was full of money, so he took his front loader, 
went up there and picked up a whole wall and put it in his truck and went down the road and counted his money. And uh, the family put a big article in the paper, please bring that money back. It belongs to us. (laughs) I don't know how much they got back, but I'm sure not very much because everybody was finding money and sticking their pockets. He had a treasure in that house, but nobody knew it was there. Now, evidently, this man that owned this field didn't know that treasure was there. He wouldn't have sold it. But this man was out in the field. Another man was out in the field, and he found this treasure, and he hid it. He put some dirt over it or leaves or whatever it took and hid it, and he went to town. Boy, he was happy. The Bible says for the joy thereof. He went to town and he got all of the stuff he had. I mean, he probably had, I mean, everything he owned. Uh, He sold it to get enough money to buy that field. And when he got that money all together, he goeth, the Bible says, and uh, the Bible says he buyeth and buyeth the field. He selleth all that he hath and buyeth the field. And the Bible uses the word joy thereof. It was a joy for him to do this. Why? Because he knew there was a treasure there. And he rushed right out to buy the field. Now the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like that. Let me tell you that there are rewards and treasures in heaven. And they're waiting there for those that work for God and serve God and lay up treasures in heaven. Now there's some people who say, well, I don't care if I have anything when I get to heaven or not, just so I get there. Well, when you get there and you got any treasure up there, tell the Lord to give them to me, would you please? I'll be happy to take them. Thank you very much. Now, I like this guy's attitude. He can, he can really sense, he can really evaluate a treasure. Now, you know, we've got a lot of treasures at our exposure here. And if we don't recognize it, I mean, if that man had been out in the field and he hadn't recognized that treasure, he would have probably just worked there for a wage or whatever he was out there in the field for, and that would have been the end of it. But he, he, was, he was smart enough to recognize that there was a treasure there. You buy the field, you got the treasure. And that's what he did. I guess probably my sermon is this tonight, buy the field. Get your pick and shovel and start digging for treasure. There's treasure right here. Now, I don't know if those old Jews hid some stuff around here. It may be that if we had a detector, we could go around over this church and none, none, huh, Pete? None. You've already looked for it, huh? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, there's treasure here greater than anything the Jews could ever hide here. The treasure is things like opportunities to work for the Lord. Amen. I think about these ladies up here singing today. They had to work for that. To sound that good, they had to work for that. By the way, ladies, you you need to sing that some more. You know, don't just sing song one time and then quit. Sing it again. That's why people buy records and tapes and CDs 
I'll be able to hear it many times over and over again, you know. But that was good. That was work. That's a real treasure, don't you think? I mean, how about the, uh, the soul winners in the church? How, how, about, how about the Sunday school teachers and the workers here and the people that clean up the church and uh, all the things that are good here? How about the pastor's work and, and uh, the musicians? I mean, the whole thing that goes in with developing this church for the Lord and doing for the Lord what's done in this church. All those things are opportunities for treasure. Greater treasure than this world would ever know. More important than Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. I heard that Warren Buffett gave Bill Gates a, mil- a billion dollars for his, uh, his uh, <coughs> what is it, uh, wealth, uh, the, his uh, help to the uh, educate the world, whatever it is. I can't remember. Foundation of some kind. I mean, <coughs> think about Warren Buffett with all those millions giving Bill Gates a billion dollars when Bill Gates was probably wealthier than he was. I mean, that, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? To me it does. But there's things here of greater value than Warren Buffett and Bill Gates' billions because, I mean, in a blink of an eye, all that could be gone. But what we lay up in treasure in heaven is there forever. It's a real treasure. It's a real treasure to serve the Lord. I mean, the church is a real treasure. Well, I guess what I'm saying tonight, buy into the field. Uh, dig up the treasure. Get you a pick and shovel and go to work. There's great opportunity here to lay up treasures in heaven. How about the souls that we win to Christ here? They're a great treasure, aren't they? You bring somebody to church and they get saved, there's rewards in heaven for that. I mean, you, you won't get them right now. God's not going to give you your rewards right now. If he did, the Democrats and the IRS would steal it all away from you. Or the Republicans or somebody. No, God's going to give it to you in heaven where you'll never lose it. Great treasures. How about, how about the lives of the young people that we have around the church? You know, we ought to be praying for these young people. In fact, you older people ought to write down the names of all the teenagers and all the young people in church and pray for them every day. Because these young people are facing problems that we never had to face. When I was a boy... In my school, where I went to school, in high school, every girl in the high school was a virgin. Every one of them. Can you imagine that? And there was no bad talk about the junk that they talked freely about in the classrooms and the hallways of schools today. None of that was allowed. They'd have kicked you right out of school in my day for that. You know, we lived out there on the farm. We didn't even have a key or a lock on anything. I mean, uh, we had an old Ford car. It had a key in it, but you couldn't turn it off and on. It just stayed on all the time and had a little, a little uh, switch up on top of it, turn it off and on. I mean, we never took a key out of that old car. We didn't have a, a, a lock 
on anything. In fact, the matter is, my dad said to mom one time, we're going to go to Tennessee. You think I ought to get a lock for the house? And my mom said, dad, a lock? If you put a lock on this house, somebody come here and they couldn't get in. Mom would, mom would cook a big pot of beans and cornbread and leave it on the stove when we went somewhere. So in case somebody came there, they'd come on in and have something to eat. There wasn't any thieves. Think about the contrast of that with these, what these young people have to face. You know, we need these young people. We need the next generation. We need it desperately. We need to pray for them and help them. Be a friend to them and take them out for ice cream or something and talk to them and be kind to them. You know, uh, this is a work of God and it's a real, real treasure. So buy the field, get in there and get to work and enjoy the treasure. How many other things could we say tonight? Our doctrine, what we preach in this church is a real treasure. We're not going to sell it for anybody. What we preach and what we stand for in this church is not for sale. You know, they could come and take the building away. They could come and kick us out in the street. But what we believe and what we love, they can never take away from us. Because it's something we really treasure, isn't it, huh? I I treasure my Bible. I, I treasure the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God and those things. We all love that, don't we? That's why we support the church. That's why we get in there. Why? Because it's a real treasure that we can't give away. And lastly, I could preach all night on this, tell jokes and everything else all night, but I'm going to bring it to an end here. The last thing is this marvelous thing that I preached about this morning, this hope that we have, this future, that we have is a real treasure. Boy, we're looking forward to wonderful things in the future. Our future is bright as the promises of God. And when the Lord comes and takes us up to heaven, He's telling to take us to a marvelous place. And what a joy that's going to be to have that wonderful treasure. You know, there's some things of greater value than Anything as far as earthly possessions on this earth is concerned that we really treasure. One is our salvation message, amen? We offer to the whole world a salvation from sins. We offer to them a solution to their problems. The world is clamoring around out here trying to find out how can I solve this emotional problem. I mean there are people committing suicide all the time because they have no place to take their problems and leave them there. The old song says take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. The Bible says casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. What a treasure that is, amen, that we can go to him in prayer and take our burdens and our problems all to him in the prayer. Wow, what a treasure. Our son's church has this uh, RU, what is that, Reformers Unanimous. It's a program to help people overcome anything that they're habitually given to that's wrong. And it's a good program. It's a Bible program. And our son Steve had a man in his church that was getting drunk and driving drunk, and he was caught 
I don't know, at least two, twice, I don't know if he's caught. I think in the state of Ohio, three strikes and you're out. You don't get out of jail. But uh, he, had, he was in jail for driving drunk and, and a lot of other things. And he wouldn't support his family and everything else like that. So he came to church and he got saved. And uh, they, they, they told him he would have to go through this therapy, this, uh, this program, uh, rehabilitation program. And they had a place there in the city where they took these people for this rehabilitation. Of course, they spent millions of dollars on it. And the psychiatrist there was paid in six figures to rehabilitate these criminals. So his, uh, his woman that was in charge of his case told him, you know, you're going to have to go to this rehabilitation center and take these classes and all that. Well, he said, let me ask you this. He said, uh, I go to the Salina Baptist Temple. She said, uh, could I go there and get rehabilitated? Oh, no, she said. It's not church. She said, you can't do that. See, they, they want them to come because they have to have so many people in there to keep the money coming in. And so they, they, they want them to come to that rehabilitation program. To get them uh, straightened out for life, with the philosophy of unbelievers that never straightened anybody out. And he said, well, to, he asked his woman and said, well, now you've got this center and all these doctors and everything else. How successful are you? How many people can you say, now honestly, how many people can you say that your program has rehabilitated and got straight and they walk straight right from then on? She said, I, I tell you the truth, I cannot think of one. Well, he said to her, he said, well, my church over here is filled full of people that the preaching of the gospel changed. He said, there's families back together, there's homes rearranged, there's, there's people that, have, that were criminals came there and got saved and their life has changed and even some of them are deacons. She said, really? Wow, what kind of a program they got? He said, it's the Bible. It's the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. Well, she said, uh, I want you to go there and take all of that, but uh, you have to come to our center too. Well, they've got to have the money, you see. That's why it's done it. But I just thought when he told me that, that that's just about the level that we find in man trying to straighten himself out. Man cannot be his own savior. Man cannot be his own solution. Digging around to try to build a, 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 a castle, I mean a, a tower up to God like they did at Babel. What a person actually does is dig their grave a little deeper. They really don't build any mountain to reach up, peak up to God or to the solution. But it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, this wonderful solution. We were over in Moldova. We are having a... Uh, Pastors conference. When we do this, we just invite all the pastors to come. Don't make any difference what church it is. We let them come. Now, a lot of them don't come to the second session, but they come to the first one. And uh, we teach them what the Bible says about soul winning and about the local church and all the things that are important to us. We teach these pastors that. They've never heard that, you know. In a lot of places, they've never heard what we believe. And uh, we were having this session, and my son-in-law 
Jim Mayles, a missionary, he was teaching, and I forget now what he was teaching on, but we had, I don't know how many days we had these, these pastors, a big crowd of pastors, the place was full of pastors, and uh, we were teaching and teaching and teaching, and this one particular time when he was teaching, a man stood up, a, pre- a pastor stood up, just abruptly stood right up and said, stop, stop. It was all, he, everything he said was in Russian. Stop, stop. He said, I can't go on any longer. I've got to get saved. I've never been saved. So this was going on. We didn't know what was happening, you know, because we couldn't understand the language. And so the moderator said, you come on forward. So the pastor came on forward. And he said to him, he said, now, uh, you, if you get saved, you've got to confess that you're a sinner. Oh, the pre- that, that pastor said, yes, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And uh, he said, I've done all these things. And he was kind of spelling them out a little, too, a little bit too uh, freely. But he was telling about how bad he'd been. Stole money. He'd run off from his wife. A whole bunch of stuff, you know. Some of those so-called preachers are just preachers professionally. They don't live a good Christian life at all. And here, that's what he was. And here he is confessing all of that. Said, you've got to confess that. Then you've got to ask God to forgive you. And boy, he bowed his head and he really did some praying. I'm telling you. He was praying, oh God, forgive me. Wash my sins away. Give me everlasting life. And he was really praying that God would save him. And when he got through, they said, well now, you believe this and you've confessed all this to to the Lord and to us. Look what the Bible says. And that missionary took that Bible and he showed that pastor about what the Bible promises were. And I'm telling you, there was some real rejoicing in there that day. That, that, that preacher that got saved rejoiced and everybody else rejoiced because it was a confirmation to all of them that what they believed was a real treasure. Well, we've got treasures here, Amen. And we thank God that we have them here. And God has given us all an opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let me ask you this tonight. I, I didn't preach all of this, by the way, just to uh, get up here and shake my fist at the crowd and hit you over the head with the truth. I, didn't, I don't want that. But I do want to say some things that maybe would revive your heart and get you to see things as God sees them. Uh, how about it tonight? How many here would say, Brother Clayton, I'm really not laying up treasures in heaven. I'm, uh, I'm a good person, maybe. I, I don't really attack anybody or hurt anybody. But I'm, I'm not really working for the Lord and laying up treasures in heaven. And you'd say tonight, Preacher, I, I want you to pray for me that I could get actively involved in uh, sending some things up in the treasure house of heaven that would be my reward some of these days when the Lord takes us up there. 
How many here tonight say pray for me about that preacher? Would you slip up your hands? How many? God bless you. God bless you. There are some people who don't care anything about this sermon. I, I know that. But uh, when we stand before the Lord and the rewards are passed out, we'll then regret not having put our lives into his service. And I want us to pray about that tonight. How many are saved and know you're saved? Slip up your hand, would you please? You're saved and you know you're saved. You're born again and know it. All right, thank you. How many would say, preacher, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Pray for me. Would you slip up your hand like that? Like this uh, preacher in Moldova did? All right, let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you play that song, I Need Thee Every Hour? Maybe you can find that there. It's a beautiful old song. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. It's a beautiful song. I want us to sing it in a moment. But before we do that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to the altar and pray tonight about uh, anything that God has spoken to your heart about tonight. Just come on and pray. This whole song says, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. Father in heaven, we pray that You'd help us, Lord, to be treasure hunters. Help us to be conscious and aware of the treasures that God has given us to dig up and to enjoy. Father, help us, Father, tonight to get busy for the Lord. Bless that this would be a revival, Lord, that would spread. I pray for these that raise their hands tonight. I pray for them, Father, that you'd bless them. Most of them are here at the altar praying tonight. I pray that you'd bless them. And help them, Lord, to be able to evaluate our opportunities and that we'd be able to uh, claim them and work for you in this hour that you've given us. Guide and keep us in your care, Father. Work in all of our hearts. Bless every life and every family here tonight. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's sing that song. It's 467 in your songbook. Let's sing it together tonight. If you're here and you have a special 
request and you'd like for us to pray for it, you come and kneel and we'll pray for that. As we sing it, you come. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. I need Thee every hour in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide or life is vain. I need Thee, oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. I need Thee every hour, most holy one, oh, make me Thine indeed, Thou blessed Son. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee, Pastor.